Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Here is the second half of our interview with Dan. If you haven't heard part one, make sure you go back to the feed and click on that first. Here is the second half of our delightful chat with Dan. We were talking to Jake Shears from the Scissor Sisters. And he told us the story about how he used to call you up, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember those Oh, times? God, yeah. You still sent him the recording, right? Yeah. Uh, Jake and I are and Terry, we're all still friends and... I had a terrestrial radio show pre-podcasting and only got away with it because the FCC didn't know Seattle existed at that time. And so we were saying things <laughs> on the radio that would get Howard Stern shut down and getting away with it. Yeah. Um, and he called in a couple of times and then I met him at a queer youth event that I was hosting in drag back when I did drag. And he, you know, was 15 years old and in a boarding school in Seattle, an arts boarding school and had kind of convinced his parents without telling him he was gay to get in the hell out of Arizona was being bullied for being gay. And he wanted to know, he wanted my advice about whether he should tell his parents he was gay. And I was like, okay, so what do you think they know and how do they act? And I listened to him. And then I was like, I think they know. And they're just waiting for you to say, so you should tell them. And then he told them and they didn't know. And they threatened to pull him out of school and get him out of Seattle and drive him back to Arizona. And it was a disaster. And he called me up a week later to say, thanks for the terrible advice, advice guy. (laughs) And I got him off the air and talked to him. And just give me your mom's phone number. I'm going to have my mom call your mom. And that's what I did. And my mom called uh, Jake Shear's mom uh, and essentially told her, you know, if what you want is for your 15-year-old son to run away from home, to live on the mm. streets, to engage in survival prostitution, to get HIV and be dead by 20, keep it up. Because if that's what you want, you're doing everything right. If that's not mm. what you want, don't do that yes. shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my mom who was the they're weird, they're weird, they're weird lady yes. when I was 11. Yeah, yeah. The PFLAG go. mom when I was 30, helping this parent be a better parent for her queer kid. God, um, that's great. And is that, is, do you, is it... Do you have your mum in your arsenal and bring her out just now and then, or was that a, a, an only time? I, I had her in my arsenal now and then. Um, she was a big gun, and I reserved her for, for special occasions. <laughs> um, you know, it took her a while to come around. Um, well, a while, a year. Uh, I was an asshole. I was her son. I was her kid. Um, I would argue with her. They gave me a Jesuit education, and we would really throw down. Um, and... Uh, but when she came around, she came around and we, my husband and I, Terry, we ended up not taking Jason in, but we were a refuge for Jace. Jake. He would come to our house and mm-hmm. play video games and hang out. And um, we were just there for him as that, as those kind of gay role models that I think he needed at that time in his life. It's funny to watch 
the arc of uh, Jake's career and his life and see how he has this almost uh, supernatural ability to pull the role model into his life that he needs at the time that he needs it. Like when Elton John became his friend. Exactly. Uh, when yes, he was yeah. you know, becoming a big pop star in the UK. But he dropped you like a hot stone. Oh, then. no, no. He's the loveliest guy. <laughs> I'm, he, joking. Like, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> no, we're still friends. We text all the time. Um, He's such a darling. I love him. He was, really is. It was, but it was awkward, you know, when we met Jake's uh, parents. We were these like 30 and 20 three-year-old gay men that their 15-year-old gay son was hanging out with. What would you think was mm-hmm. going on if you were the right. parent? Yeah. I, yeah. What would yeah. I think? Um, and, you know, his mom reached out to me and said, I'm concerned. And I said, good, I would be concerned if you weren't concerned. Let's mm-hmm. meet. And it was basically a conversation about how we are not fucking your 15-year-old son. <laughs> we are nice. being your, his friends. Yes. And he needs friends like us. Because mm-hmm. I was, you know, he told me once he did something unsafe at that time uh you know he took a risk he shouldn't have taken he wouldn't have told his mother that um but he told me that so i could pick up the four pound vanity fair on the table and hit him on the head with it which is literally what i did and have it have a like a screaming sort of uh lecture i lectured him (laughs) about why he needed not to do that and i could tell him you know given the benefit of my experience like i watched a whole bunch of people die and i'm not going to watch you die at 17. And it was different then. You know, this is pre-proteas, pre-cocktail, pre-prep, um, pre-pep. So the, the risk mm. was greater uh, then and the consequences totally. were more severe. And so, yeah, I don't have any regrets about hitting Jake Shears over the head with a <laughs> vanity fair. <laughs> vanity fair. No, and also like I think there's a thing like I remember when I used to do stupid things when I was younger, I think it actually the truth of it is it came back to not thinking I was worth anything and being like, Maybe deep down, I didn't think I'd deserve to live. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, so maybe gosh. it doesn't matter. And actually unpacking that and being like, why don't I respect my own worth and value? And I think mm. that that happens to a lot of young people. And then there are the young people who maybe that that can be their truth. They can also think they're bulletproof, that it can't happen to them, that they're mm, right. immortal. Uh, and they need to know, or needed to know, particularly at that they moment. Are. Yeah, life were. is cheap at that age. Yeah. Um, Dan, um, perhaps you don't know this, but on Homo Sapiens, uh, this uh, podcast, uh, we have uh, an Agony Uncles segment. Alan's standard issue is advice. Oh, for fuck's sake, have a Valium and a vodka. Ah, it's not bad <laughs> advice. It really isn't. I've given similar no, I'm really advice. Joking. I'm only joking. Um, but we thought we would, um, if you don't mind, you could uh, chip in today. And we've got a couple of, uh, of people who have written in. and, and um... I'd be happy to. Oh, good. Hit oh, that's the best news ever. This is like talking to the Queen Mother. <laughs> it, it's too bad I'm not at my desk in Seattle. I, I write my column at Ann Lander's desk that I bought at auction after she died. Shut uh, But I'm up. not there right now. Do you know who Ann Landers is, I have is, to Chris? be really honest. I don't know who Ann Landers is. She's this uh, lady. Does she Dear Abby? No, uh, Dear Abby was her sister. Um, oh, who, Ann Landers who, 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 uh, so like kind, of, kind of created the the modern advice column. You know, the advice columns existed wow. in Yiddish newspapers um, in, at the in the nineteenth century, end of the nineteenth century. Uh, but Ann Landers in the fifties kind of invented the advice column, that, and, and in a way, some of what she did kind of like is very internet-y. She would, you know, have kind of bloggy discussions with her readers. She would print their responses, respond to their responses. She was really a pioneer, mm-hmm. and she evolved on queer, but she used to be in hundreds of newspapers. She had 130 million readers, presidents. She was an advice columnist and presidents courted her uh, and and her support. 
Um, of course. And she was just a and huge then did her sister was a rival then. Uh, yeah. yeah, Abby was a rival. They kind of were yeah, they were twins, and for decades they didn't speak because Anne had you know become this world famous advice columnist, and then her sister went into the biz too. Shit, the bed. That is great. Yeah, yeah. And Margot Howard is Ann Lander's daughter. Uh, and when Ann Lander's died, I, I grew up reading her. Um, and she had said homophobic things when I was a kid. But then I also saw her grow on uh, on queer shit and gay shit, mm. which is all we ask of people. Like when you come around, we should Absolutely. say thank you for coming around. We shouldn't say fuck you for never having been in the mm. right place the yeah, whole time. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I bought her desk, but I called her daughter because we'd been on the radio together once after her mother died and they had me on to be like fuck Ann Landers and I was like I love Ann Landers what do you mean fuck Ann Landers and I'm gonna say fuck Ann Landers in front of her daughter the day after her mother dies but I called yeah. her and said is it okay if I buy your mom's desk because I didn't want it to be, I knew it get written about and it did and I you know I didn't want it played like yes. I was insulting her memory that was um, nice. and she was totally into it but Margot Howard Ann Landers daughter doesn't like Abigail Van Buren's daughter who still writes the column and there's that feud is oh like God. continued for a generation. This is like dynasty. And where did you find our desk? Where did you find the, uh, the how did this come about? Uh, there was mean? an auction of Van Lander's effects in uh, suburban Chicago. She she lived in she wrote an advice column and lived in what would now be probably a $20 million condo on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, I love it. Up in her tower, right? Oh, and Ru- when problems. Rupert Murdoch bought uh, the I think the Chicago sometimes which is where her mm-hmm. column had been forever she quit and moved her column to the chicago tribune good for her she wouldn't work for rupert Murdoch. Oh, yeah. decades well, word ago. word to that anyway here we um, are i'm going to do the first one shall i please i am a young gay man i have recently started dating an older couple m m uh, it's a, it, it's a M&M's. Uh, no, it's a, it's a male male couple. Um, so he's a gay man. He's dating an older uh, male male couple, and have found the experience pleasantly fulfilling. However, I am not out about this to my core group of friends. They are mostly young twinks, and I'm not sure they'd approve or understand. Any tips on how I can broach the subject, or should I keep it our little secret? So, do you guys take a go first, or do I have to? Oh no, this is all you. Oh, all me. Think if we've got Dan here, they don't really need our advice. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> it can be fun to have a dirty little secret, you know, if you know it excites you to, to, to sneak off to, to see these guys and your twink friends are none the wiser. Yeah, and that like makes your dick hard. Awesome, go for it. But if it's just about shame, like you wouldn't be out and gay if other people's low opinion of your desires or choices of partner or partners mattered. If you couldn't push back against that, if you couldn't stand on your own two feet and say, yeah, no, I reject that, you couldn't be gay. Mm. So why are you cowering in the face of the judgment of your twink friends when you didn't cower in the face of the judgment of the church, of the Republican Party, of maybe even your parents? (laughs) So, uh, you know, over up, (laughs) be be strong. Don't be ashamed of, of who you love. And you know, some, I'm, you know, my husband and I have been together for 25 years. He has a boyfriend who's significantly younger uh, than we are. I have a boyfriend who's significantly younger than we are also. So maybe I have a bias here because we are the older gay couple that has dated some younger gay men. And hopefully they found it very fulfilling. Hopefully it fulfilled them at both ends occasionally even. Uh, sorry, I have to always well, make the low and dirty a, joke. Wah, that's wah. my stock Have they trade. given you a review? Have you got a TripAdvisor page for this? <laughs> Uh, oh my god! I would. I don't know. I'd have to go check it out. Um, but but sometimes people's hangups around these sorts of relationships are because it's hard for people to game out. Well, how does this work 
for five decades? And the answer is like, it doesn't have to work for five decades. Right. It can work for right now. And right. I'm a huge advocate of the idea of the successful short-term relationship. We talk about LTRs a lot and we place all this mm -hmm. value on the long-term relationship. Well, a long-term relationship can be terrible. Um, you know, people, somebody could be together for 50 years, it could be a high conflict relationship with tons of emotional abuse and horrible. Uh, and yet mm. people will say, if you were together 50 years and one of you dropped dead, oh, congratulations, you had a successful relationship. Only one of you got out of it alive. <laughs> right? And we should tell people, you know, most of your relationships are going to be short term. You're going to date people. You're going to realize they're not right for you. You don't have the same goals. Um, most of your relationships are only going to be for some months, weeks, uh, maybe a year or two. And then one, maybe you'll get into a relationship that lasts for the rest of your life, but you won't know until you're dead. If you got into that relationship, mm. right? And so mm. we should say a, re a relationship can be something the two people in it or three people in it can survive and all get out of alive and still have been a success. And often the misplaced concern uh. when there's a huge age difference in a relationship is this won't work for 50 years because that person's going to predecease you. Or, you know, mm. there's going to be a maturity right. gap or an experience gap, yeah. or there's eventually going to be a life goal thing that, you know, is based on the age difference. That means you can't stay together yeah. forever. Okay. Well, let's not place too high a value on staying together forever. And then a lot but of these right, relationships the now. Yeah, begin to make more sense. And if you got out of it alive, if you learned and grew, if you have friends out of it, it can be, you can look back on it and say that that was a success. There's literally nothing in our lives that we point to and say, if everybody gets out of that alive, it failed. No, that's mm. absolutely true. It's not our standard for cars yes. or airplanes or restaurants or anything right. else. Yeah. Just relationships. If you're in a relationship a, and you both get out of it alive, I'm so sorry that failed. And it's bullshit. Yeah. It failed if yeah. you hate each other. It failed if, you know, it, it's all negative. If you took nothing away, if you didn't learn and grow and you got nothing out of it, then probably that relationship failed. But you cannot learn and grow and get nothing out of a relationship that lasts for 60 years. That's yeah, completely absolutely. changed my opinion about several of my relationships now. Just the things I thought were that. Well, I mean, I, I mean, but yes, I think gosh, that was. Are you talking about your boyfriends? Uh, boyfriends and yeah, various of... various genders that mm. I sort of think of as, you know, were kind of I wish I don't, you know, I'm one. I don't have regrets. I think everything. If you're happy now, then all the things that happened on the way there are a part of your happiness. So you can't wish to have changed them. And because they made you who you are, but I do. There's a, there is one relationship in particular that I think is, um, you know, I think if it, I think if it in a negative way, but you know, we both survived, and I learned a lot of really important lessons from it, and I learned mm. a lot about myself and my then, uh, you know, my my predilection to find uh, to sort of enter into abusive things in those days. So that, oh, yes, so thanks, Dan. I got something out of that too, as well oh, as uh, this person. I'm not allowed to Congrats say Congrats on that successful <laughs> short-term relationship. <laughs> that, oh, yes. you know that? What it reminded STRs. me of when you said that, I was thinking because there's a, a, a lovely drag queen who's sadly no longer with us in New York called Sweetie. And she used to call, um, she used to say if someone had like, you know, uh, shag with a, a sort of a, a, a sort of secret, uh, or not a secret, but like, just you know, like a hookup. She would call them afternoon husbands. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if everybody treated everybody that they were going to hook up with or date for a little while as if you know? I really want you know. The high likelihood is we are going to not be together forever. Let's stick the dismount. 
Let's be as kind mm. and loving and gracious, even if we're not going to be together forever. But people have it in their heads that the relationship only ends or only can end if there's a lot of conflict and drama and anger, and then you can legitimately end it or exit it. Yeah. And it's not yeah. true. And so I watch as an advice column as people call in, they write me. I watch people inventing conflict so that they can leave a relationship or, yeah. or, mm -hmm. or ginning it up or magnifying it or, or making it worse so that they can go. Yeah. And yeah, it's that if passive we could just say thing. it doesn't have to be that way, that you're free to yeah. go and still love that person and leave, mm. and then it's likely to be a successful STR. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I've got one. Go. Um it's it's quite a long one, but I've sort of I've broken down to the key parts of it, I hope. Um, so this is about a trans man who is entering the gay world and says, I am petrified of walking into gay male spaces and I know nothing of the friendship or relationship rules. I was married for 16 years and that is back when this man identified very happily as a woman for a period had kids was married. Um, so I was married for 16 years also. So internet dating and apps passed me by another great fear I have. In short, what advice can you offer? Be out. There is, I think, a lingering sense of scarcity for some trans people who are entering gay spaces and want to date or even straight spaces, that the number of people I'm going to encounter there who might be interested in me is very small. And so I have to uh, go with whoever will have me or mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to get with anybody at all. And I just think that that's no longer true. I know a lot of gay men, cis gay men who have dated and will date or are in relationships with trans men. And it's much more common now. I think that trans gay people who are just coming out or just entering spaces should go with the expectation of abundance, potential abundance, as opposed to I only deserve scraps or anticipating rejection. You are mm -hmm. going to get rejected. Everybody who enters those spaces gets rejected. Every cis gay guy in that room has gotten rejected, sometimes for things that can feel as arbitrary as you being rejected for being trans. People have been rejected for age, size, color, role, whatever. Like people get rejected and rejection hurts. You are going to encounter rejection and you have to steel yourself uh, against that. But it's, you know, I, I try to tell people to embrace rejection because if somebody rejects you, you that, that you're moving on then faster to the person who's not going to reject you. You're likely to find that's about sorting. And, you know, it sucks, but you're being rejected, but you're also rejecting at the same time that you are being rejected as you like move through mm -hmm. these spaces, looking for people that you might want to get with or be with or date. 
And so you just have to accept rejection as, you know, part of what you're going to encounter. You may encounter yes. some bigotry and that's awful. People, you know, there are cis gay people who are not attracted to trans gay men. And I think that you can't order people to be attracted to people. That doesn't work. Um, there's a lot of gay men who are cis who now are uh, able to date or willing to date trans folks that in the past weren't. And so obviously, like thinking about it, talking about it and, and it has moved some people. So don't assume that somebody who rejects you now is like can't be reached to. or won't come in around. But it's legitimate. Like homosexuality, there's a difference between sex and gender. And there are people who are homosexual. People are attracted to their own sex. And there are people who are gay who are attracted to maybe their own gender. And that can be broader. So I guess I'm like spinning my wheels right now. But yeah, <laughs> welcome to being gay. Some people are going to be awful. Jeffrey Domerate, my friend Tony, like, yeah, there's some awful gay people out there. And you want to avoid them if possible. But you don't want to place too much importance or value on them. And if somebody's awful to you, you get to turn away from them and then try to find in that same room, maybe that same night, maybe another night when you're feeling better, uh, somebody who isn't going to reject you. Or if they are going to reject you, is going to do it in a way that doesn't feel negating uh, of your gender yeah. identity or your personhood. And that's yeah. also a skill that I wish, you know, we raised the next generation ourselves, we would work on. How do you turn somebody down without Being a crushing them? And that's possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you do it by text. <laughs> <laughs> but also, don't you think if someone's gone through the process of changing gender and being sort of having the courage and the and the strength to become the person who they really are and finding and going on that journey, they're, 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 you know, think about what you've done and what you've achieved already in your life. And this is not this is not um, as big a deal as, as you're making it. But it's but it's scary, you know, to make yourself vulnerable scary. like that. You're offering Absolutely. yourself up for judgment and, and and rejection. Totally. But just think how brave and amazing you've been already. That's right. Exactly. It. Yeah. Just like that, gay, the twin kid who doesn't want to come out about like dating the older couple. Like, how could you be an out gay kid without having strength and courage? And like, you're trembling in the face right. of like other twinks looking funny at you because you've got these. <laughs> this gay couple in your life, fuck them. Yeah, the yeah. same thing here applies. Like you couldn't be an, a trans gay man. You couldn't have made that journey if you weren't just made of incredibly strong stuff. And if Absolutely. you could make that journey, you can survive a night in a gay bar. <laughs> yes. And also, you know, don't be beguiled by the people who are turning you down and trying to chase that. Like find the people who respect who you are. Yeah. And from that, yeah. you will find other people who will make you feel good. And the best advice I think for like gay pickup places, although most people are online now, like most gay relationships, 80% mm. begin with an online hookup. But right? these spaces wow. still exist if you can enter them. And in a time of COVID, you shouldn't be entering them. Uh, mm. But when would we can go to gay bars again, if you are the kind of person who feels more comfortable picking people up or you just want to go clubbing your friends, go with a posse. Don't go yes. alone. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. say to Have somebody. support group. Yeah, you can say to somebody, you know, I had friends that I went out with. We would go to the bars. We weren't into each other and that was understood. And that what made us a good, yeah. you know, people to go to the bars with together. Yeah, you're, um, you're and so. Tribe. Somebody's more attractive when you see them in a bar talking to friends than if you see them in the bar standing in a corner looking terrified. Well, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
It's going to come back to your disastrous dating life, Chris. <laughs> um, thank you for that, Dan. That was yes, really good. And that I was Agony like... Uncle. <laughs> I, um, I feel like we've we got our listeners like the full service. You know what I mean? I'm curious. Uh, uh, well, I'm just curious in general, actually. But uh, I'm curious about... Because the, there's the sort of this, you know much told and um, kind of apocryphal, although it really happens, so it's not apocryphal, but you know what I mean? Story about you, that you're working in a video shop <laughs> and then your chum was going to, oh, I'm going to do this, make this uh, newspaper, this funny newspaper called The Onion. You said, oh, well, you should have a, a, a an advice column then because, you know, straight people are stupid about the way they do advice for gay people. And, and he said, well, why don't you write a column? And so you did. And that's kind of how you became Dan Savage. But what I'm interested in is what were you planning to do with your life before... This happened, and now you're Dan Savage, and you. But what was Dan Savage, with in small letters, going to do? I am embarrassed to say uh, that I wanted to do theater. I have a theater degree. Uh, when I moved to, I moved to London for a, a year before I went to Berlin just to go see theater. Um, I saw you. I saw. That's uh, right. You told me that once. Yes. Yeah. Um, and when I moved to Seattle, the, you know, the stranger I was writing my paper, were writing my column and helping to run the paper wasn't paying anything. And, you know, my column got syndicated and I made a tiny bit of money, but I also started a theater in Seattle and directed mm-hmm. a whole bunch of plays. And to my eternal regret, I feel, and you know, about my own work that if I had done that work in New York, I would have a th- career in the theater, but I did it in Seattle where it didn't matter. And I don't, mm-hmm. but so you would have. So you were planning to be an actor or a director. A director. A director. Because actually, I saw. I you know, um, in my extensive research, I saw that one of the things you you did was a production of Macbeth. And do you know, I did that weird production of Macbeth that was just me doing all the parts. But it, that started out, Dan. Before that came to the way I did it, it was my idea to do a production of Macbeth where I would play Macbeth one night and Lady Macbeth the next night, and the girl who played. Uh, Lady Macbeth would play Macbeth, so it would swap. And that was what your production was, was about, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was cross-gender. Uh, we did queer kind of reinterpretations of classics. Um, it was the darkest days of the AIDS epidemic when we started the theater, uh, 91. And uh, the motto of the theater was, my life is drama, make me laugh. Uh, we didn't mm-hmm. need to be doing anything dark. And my feeling, you know, what I learned when I lived in London, I saw a bunch of theater and I went to school was there's no such thing as a Shakespearean tragedy. There's just some comedies that end badly, that end with a pile of dead bodies on stage, that they're all comedies. And so Macbeth was a comedy uh, when we did it. Um, You know, act four of Macbeth, which takes place in England, nobody knows where you are. Most audiences are like, what the fuck's going on? What's this? Yeah, why is he back? Yeah, Malcolm says, here we are in England to the Macduff and... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Wait, we're in England." And my feeling about plays was always you had to take them where they were. And so, you know, we had a messenger character in Macduff, play, kind of played as an idiot. And when Malcolm said he, in England, he said, "Wait, we're in England. What are we doing in England?" And uh, Macduff pulled out of it. I think Macduff pulled out of his pocket the Folgers Library edition of Macbeth and read the, <laughs> and read the act synopsis to the idiot who was the stand-in for the audience. And that was the sort of stuff I did with the plays. Oh, we like, clever, we just though. fucked yeah, with them cool. and played yeah. with them and had fun with them. The best example of the kind of theater that, that we did or that I did was we did King John, which is a play, a Shakespeare play that isn't performed very often. And it's terrific. There's great scenes, great characters, uh, children yeah. having you know their eyes gouged out or having their eyes threatened to be gouged out with hot irons. And it's just like is bananas. 
Um, but it has a terrible ending. It just like, it hits a cliff's edge and the play just kind of stops. Um, and most productions, you know, everybody wants to slavishly sort of like Shakespeare's amazing and everything he did was amazing. And so we have to mm. like, the, the problem is us, mm. right? The audience or the, you know, our production has to solve the problem within the confines of the play. Yeah, and so yeah. what we did is we got to the end of the play and we were like, there's no more. <laughs> there's no ending. You paid your, I think we charged $7 because we wanted to be a dollar cheaper than the movies. You paid your $7. <laughs> you deserve an ending. Here's the last 15 minutes of Hamlet. And the entire <laughs> cast went rushing back out. You know, had the cast had mostly gone off stage, came rushing back on in full Elizabethan. The King John set went out and Elsinore came down. And we, from wow. the sword fight with Laertes, did the last 15 minutes of Hamlet at, oh, that's great. A, at a rapid pace. And the play, the theater went berserk. People went bananas. They couldn't believe that we did this. And the, the way we got to this like boffo ending of King John, which was give them the end of Hamlet, was not by being in denial about the fact, but by the problem in the play. We always right. leaned into the problems in the play and said, how can we solve this that's problem? That's so interesting. In that's almost, you know, that's like kind of what a lot about your uh, uh, advice is to people, <laughs> is to not, is to not um, ignore yeah. the problems and to accept and to embrace them. Yeah. So I'm embarrassed um, talking and- about this with you, of all people. Why? Because, you know, I saw you and I saw you as uh, the MC at Studio 54 and like... Um, in some ways, I'm jealous because I wanted to, to do theater and Aww. I didn't get to do it. And but if if you hadn't, you know, you wouldn't have done all the amazing stuff that you have. And I think, you know, life is weird. I want to know if you've done it for so long. Have you seen a change in the kind of questions you get? Do you think we're making progress? Yes, I, I, absolutely. Um, I get less homophobic abuse from <laughs> straight people. Uh <laughs> Sometimes I think queer, the, the queer movement now being like, don't ask us any questions. Um, we don't have to do this emotional labor is making a mistake. Because a lot of what mm. I did, especially with the first 20 years of the column, was answer all the questions that straight people had about gay men. Um, mm. And, you know, they used to ask us, who's the man in the relationship? Who's the woman? They used oh, to ask God, us, yeah. how do you have sex? How do two women have sex? And my feeling was answer the question. Like how mm-hmm. anal sex, isn't that like answer the, if we answer the question, they'll stop asking it. Eventually they'll get sick of hearing the answer. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, the political activism in Savage Love was like queer people talking to straight people. The column was a trap. You know, initially it was a joke. I was going to treat straight people with the same contempt that straight advice columnists had always treated gay people with when they wrote to their columns. I was just going to yeah. be awful to straight people, but they liked it because it was new for them and they wrote me real questions. But I always like, it was very strategic. It was my activism. I was very strategic. 80% of the letters were straight people and straight stuff. And then 20% of the time I could write about HIV. I could write about gay marriage. I could write about gay people mm. adopting kids. I could write about trans issues. I could, you know, give trans people my platform. I was doing that 28 years ago. The first time I had mm. Kate Bornstein or Buck Angel in my column talking about trans issues was before a lot of the people on Twitter yelling at me for being bad on trans issues were born. Mm. <laughs> and right. that was, I forget where I was going with this question. Well, <laughs> but has it, has it got better? Have the, oh, have yeah, the, yeah. Uh, we don't get those questions. I don't get those questions anymore. I don't get right. how dare you tell straight people, well, what do you know about being straight? You know, because now mm, people right. perceive that relationships love uh is is a universal experience regardless of these you know wispy thin things you know that the, you know mm. the veneer on top is you know gender sexual orientation interests whatever 
everything underneath that thin veneer, the emotions, the vulnerability, the pain, uh, the longing, all that's the same. We all, those feelings feel the same regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, anything else. Those feelings are the same. And straight people get that now in a way they did not used to. Right. They didn't get that. And so I used to get so many questions challenging the humanity of queer people or, or just suggesting that we were different in some fundamental way or broken and don't really get that anymore. That doesn't mean there aren't people who still believe that and think that, but Mm. there's, there's been a big change. Also, I used to get questions all the time about, you know, how do you fist fuck somebody and what's a butt plug now fist fucking and butt plugs have their own wiki pages. So I don't get those questions anymore. (laughs) Everything is situational (laughs) ethics. I did this. They did that. Who's right. Who's wrong. Who's the asshole. And those columns are harder to write Uh, than what's a butt plug. That was an easy call. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh Diane Savage. Uh, this has been great. Pleasure. Talking of uh we were just talking about Hamlet a minute ago, and so now it's time to say good night, sweet prince, and flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Oh thank you so much, Horatio. Uh, <laughs> it's been lovely, Dan. Thank, Thanks for talking thank to you, us. Dan. Uh, my, what an honor. My pleasure. My I I feel very honored. Thank you guys. Dan Savage. That was such fun, wasn't it? And what, what honor! I thought it was. It was actually really when he was doing his advice thing. Mm. I was like, wow, I'm actually seeing this happen in front of my eyes. It was like, I mean, it was amazing, wasn't it? It was. It was like, and then when I, I this is literally how I felt. Like then I added something and on to the end of his. I was like, but it could also be this. And I was like, oh no, 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 don't say that. Let's say he. Knows, he knows. <laughs> it was. I it, did. it was. It was great and. Just, and who knew he'd be crying about the Czech national anthem? That I, was a that was took a lift. I thought that was great. What Alan, a darling! You know that's our first cry. <gasps> is it really? And mm. Dan Savage is their first cry on Homo Sapiens. You just wouldn't. Who'd have thunk? I know because he's such a he's so kind of tough and fuck you and you know like I didn't mm. I, I didn't ballsy. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. But um, no, another How accolade. Um, there we go. Oh, that was so great. And and also I love how you know he's um, also kind of contentious and doesn't care about being controversial. I mean he's just you know mm. he is himself. He is him true self. I think I, I I can't wait to hear what you think our thought of this interview, dear uh, listeners. And uh, so please let us know. You can write to us at hello at homosapienspodcast.com. dot com, or you could get in touch on Instagram if you like um, a visual, uh, which is at Homo Sapiens slide into our dms as they say hopefully no santorum <laughs> you'd slide pretty fast though wouldn't you yes yeah you would with that with the frothy mixture i yes. think you'd glide actually um <laughs> and if you want a t-shirt go to everpress.com forward slash homo sapiens you can get a sweatshirt there too or you could go to um apple Podcasts and review us hopefully you'll subscribe hopefully you'll tell your friends to listen to us uh, and our future interviews but if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts you could win a t-shirt for free because we uh, give a prize of a t-shirt on Homo Sapiens Extra uh, for the review that we think is uh, Merit's one mm-hmm. so that's it that's all the housekeeping spick and spam we are next week will be Homo Sapiens Extra mm-hmm. and then the weekend after that I mean the week after that there'll be someone else fantastic and illuminating and maybe we'll get them to cry too Oh yeah, let's. I think once <laughs> that should be a, this should be a, a new challenge. Yeah, we should become the Barbara Walters of podcasts. You know, we always get people to cry Go straight to the heart of it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, listeners. Lots of love. Take care. Brush your hair. Bye. Hold up. 
up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.